Hey everybody, we are super pleased to announce our new sponsor, Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is a mobile squad RPG that allows you to battle with your favorite team of superheroes and supervillains in a fight to save the universe against threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse. The goal? Power up your favorite characters to complete missions, unlock gear and other resources, and beat other players in PvP modes such as Alliance War and Real-Time Arena. And the best part? Marvel Strike Force just reached its six-year anniversary, which means free stuff when you sign up via our unique link in the description. The anniversary consists of weekly events and bonuses. Just complete each event, and you'll receive special awards and skins. Make sure to log in each day and every week to take advantage of all the new characters that are being released specifically for this event. This will be Marvel Strike Force's most generous event to date, so don't miss out. If we have received a unique promo code for every new user, please follow our link in the description and use the promo code MAXPOOL, M-A-X-P-O-O-L. Again, anybody uses that code, it is unique for all new users. Check it out. Once again, thank you so much to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, the podcast of board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris. And this is Anthony. And this is episode 269, our friend's favorite games, Raymond Chandler III with City of the Big Shoulders. We'd like to thank all of our Patreon backers for helping us bring you a brand new episode. All right, Anthony, we are back again. Although in different locations, as we continue to lower the curve and self-quarantine, but board gaming still tends to be a thing, especially in this day and age. In fact, I think you and I have seen endless numbers of articles from magazines talking about how great board gaming is, like they just discovered that board gaming was a thing. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's always funny because you do see these articles every few months and just like some random big name publication. And they're like, whoa, guys, board games. <laughs> and everybody's like, yeah, yeah, no, they're cool. Also, the ones you picked are all really bad. It's just yes. those are bad games. So there's been a little bit of that. There's been a little bit of them actually discovering what is good. And there's also been some amplification of voices that we already know, like in the hobby, who do know what is good, but getting better publication because people want to write about it. Uh, it's pretty cool, but also a little surreal, I guess, is the best way to put it. Yeah, I'm talking in big magazines, odd places, you know, magazines that don't cover games and hobbies, talking about board games as the ultimate solution. And as you mentioned, Anthony giving some really wacky games. I think some of these games are not even on BGG. And then every once in a while, it's like a random good game. So the, the list kind of throws you. It's like, oh, mm -hmm. big box games that you'll see in the store and three games that somebody had in their attic 20 years ago and Wingspan. <laughs> it's just like, who who's Googling things for you? How is this a thing? <laughs> 
have a good laugh with us about some of their lists. And as Anthony said, it's still a rainbow or a silver lining to that cloud because a lot of gaming is getting done out there and a lot of people are getting into the hobby. So board gaming's booming. And of course, we are super happy about that. So check those things out. There's a lot of fun on there. All right, Anthony. So we have a lot of other stuff that's going on with BGA. Why don't you fill us all in? Just before and then slightly after all of us got, you know, quarantined in our homes, we did our annual uh, board game bracket. So there's actually one of the few brackets around because the official March Madness was canceled. But <laughs> we ran through, we picked our favorite Kickstarter campaign of all time. And the sequel to that campaign is now running for those of you who are Gloomhaven fans. And we had a contest at the same time where we asked listeners to fill out the bracket and basically guess what was going to come out on top. Not only did that help us like break some of the ties, but it's also fun to give away a game and just acknowledge that someone was really close to guessing what we would have picked. This year, the winner of that was Mike Dunlop. And Mike was very generous. Uh, he said, I have enough games. It, in this time in particular, please find a charity that is meaningful to you guys and donate on my behalf. And so instead of sending a game out to Mike, we have donated to Fulfill, um, which I know is a charity, Chris, that you brought to my attention uh, as important in your area, right? Yeah, Fulfill is a food bank that serves Ocean County, New Jersey. There is a lot of need out there. There's actually more than a dozen food banks out in that area. And especially now with COVID out there, a lot of people are in some severe need. Actually, a lot of their helpers dealing with you know, COVID and not the most safe conditions, these heroes uh, still return to work. In fact, a friend, somebody who worked at Phil actually passed away from COVID. She was a tremendous person and she was out there helping people in need. So uh, for her and for all the fantastic people on the front lines, nurses, doctors, medical workers, and especially all the unsung heroes, uh, whether they're transporting the food, stocking the food, helping you in any way possible, there's just an unlimited number of them to thank, but we uh, thank them all. Absolutely. And again, special thanks to Mike for uh, for donating that. And obviously board games are fun. We all enjoy this hobby, but it, at a time like this, it's it's good to keep everything else in mind and in perspective of just the kind of impact we can have on the world. All right, Anthony. So we have some other things going on with BGA. We have a little tournament of our own, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I've been spending a fair amount of time on Board Game Arena. Uh, I know you're on there as well. Mm -hmm. And I thought it would be fun. What I was poking around the other day and I realized that they have a tournament feature. So I was like, why don't we set up a tournament and sponsor it and invite people from the podcast and from our listener community on to take part. So the first of these went live last week on the 8th, and it is a 16 person Takedo tournament. It is not done just yet. There's one more match to go. So there were 16. It's down to two. And we have Simorge and Lana Muse other usernames will be facing off either today or tomorrow. Uh, so if if you want to head over there and look at the finished competitions, you can see who came out on top. But this was a lot of fun. It was really fun to organize it. It was fun to kind of get everybody in there and make sure they got in. Um, we're able to match up accordingly. And I'm looking forward to doing more of these. There are some limitations on the tournaments. I think it's just head to head at this point. But there are a few good games in there that I think work really well for that. So um, we're looking at Race for the Galaxy, uh, some other like, short to medium weightish games that can be done in about a week if we're doing like five rounds. So lots and lots of fun. So a lot, one of the really good reasons to like stay connected with us on all the various places that we hang out, because 
that's where we announced this. We put it up on Facebook, I think was primarily where we put it. And uh, we filled the tournament up in a couple days. So hopefully next time you can hop in and join us and play some games. So yes, please keep up with us on all our social media, Facebook, Twitter, BoardGamersAnonymous.com. There's so much content going on there, including every night's game night, our sister podcast, our guild on Board Game Geek, and maybe even of, and even YouTube where you can find all the podcasts. All right, Anthony, that's everything. What's going on with BGA? What's going on with our listeners? What's our question of the week? Yep, we so we asked this last week to ourselves, just to kind of kick it off, and then threw it to the listeners. What's the first game you'll play when the quarantine is lifted? So got a lot of different answers on this one. Uh, some people were like, I'm playing just as many games because I have my family here, my friends here, wherever it might be, and we're all deeply jealous of you. So <laughs> congratulations on, on having a nice game group in the house. I'm close to that. I'm really close to that. I think in a couple of years, it actually would have worked out with the kids, but they're hard to wrangle for, for more than once every two or three days. But it, it's a nice range of people. So it, a few people like Jeff mentioned that they already had some kind of game night scheduled. So he mentioned he had a, a Catan game night scheduled before this all went down. So now he's actually thinking about organizing a street party once it's all over so they can all go out together and just be outside and interact with one another. David mentions Agricola at his local tavern. Joseph mentions uh, Rising Sun. Uh, he misses the player interactions and the, all the stuff the game facilitates, uh, which makes sense, I think. For me, I mentioned last week, just some party game, even though I'm not even a huge fan of party games, just because that's not something we have to play right now. Um, Anthony mentions getting Terraforming Mars to the table again. Shad mentions some big lifestyle games he hasn't been able to play, like D&D or Warhammer 40K. Um and then a bunch of people jumped in and mentioned just good old fashioned sports. So getting out and being active, physically active and hitting the court like basketball or football. So I, I think it's a mix of like the big thing that you just can't do at home and just the things that you're used to and that you're comfortable with and just enjoy doing with your friends. Uh, I think I'm in the same boat. Uh, you know, there's a lot of games like, 18xx for example i was really getting into that at the end of last year um michael friend of the show hopped in and mentioned he just got in 18 chesapeake and his iron clays are almost there and i'm like i want to play that and i want to use those and we only live a few blocks from each other but it's not going to happen for several months yet uh and there are ways to play 18xx online but they're not great so um it's stuff like that i think it's that gets me the most and I, i think a lot of people are in the same boat all right, next question up for next week is, what would you like to see from a digital convention? So if you guys haven't seen the news yet, um, Origins went ahead and delayed. Uh, instead of canceling, they didn't outright cancel, but they did delay everything and push it out to October. So we don't know all the details of that yet. The hotels were just canceled a couple days ago, but... Generally speaking, there's no convention happening this June, except they're doing an online type of convention. They haven't really said what that is yet, or what we'll have to do, or if it's going to cost any money, or what to expect. But I thought it'd be fun to just discuss what would you want to see out of an online convention? What should that look like? And then maybe even what are you afraid it's going to look like? Because <laughs> we, haven't, we haven't really seen something like this before. So they could literally do anything. We don't really know what that's going to mean. Yeah, this is obviously going to be a big challenge, but I really appreciate that Origins went ahead and is trying to put something out in the 
spot that they often use for this kind of content. So I don't know. I'm really, I'm really interested and excited to see what Origins does with this. I mean, are they going to just do a website that's going to have photos and maybe a couple of videos? Are they going to do some tabletopia, tabletop simulator kind of thing? Maybe they'll do some kind of thing like a second life where it's like a virtual convention and you like click and move around and go over to certain tables and then maybe a, a video pops up or something. So I'm not sure what the infrastructure is going to look like as far as this convention is concerned, but I'm really interested to see if they actually have full video playthroughs. I mean, that's really what I want to see. I mean, if, even if they set that up on YouTube and like, here's all the games that would have been here. Here's full playthroughs with a designer. Awesome. That would be more than enough for me. And maybe a link to click to buy the game if I wanted to buy it. I mean, that's that's pretty much what I'm looking for. How about you, Anthony? Yeah, I think something along those lines would be good. Um, I don't want to pay for it, first off. I, <laughs> yes. Uh, I, I think people are like, well, how much is it going to cost? And I'm like, it should be zero. <laughs> like, If it's more than zero, they're doing it wrong. Um, I would like to see all the new stuff because, I mean... Origins is not like the new stuff convention, but you often get a chance to like preview stuff and see prototypes and, and and just get a general sense of what might be coming in the next few months. And that would still be fun to be able to do. I don't know what else you can get out of that. Like the reason I go to Origins is because it's close. It's my birthday and I get to play a bunch of games and that's not going to happen <laughs> online. So I don't know what else we could necessarily extract from that, but I'm very eager to see what they try to do because there are a lot of interesting ways to engage with and play and discuss board games online. If someone takes it and organizes it and codifies it into a convention, cool. Let's let's see what that looks like. Yeah, how about maybe a Oculus Rift kind of connection? Where you like you put the headset on, you're like walking around, you're clicking and moving pieces and stuff. Maybe maybe something along that line. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe in a couple of years. I don't know. <laughs> in the two months of development time, we're going to get something pretty simple, I imagine. But here's hoping. Maybe they've been working on it for a while. We don't know. Yeah, they've been pretty quiet about it. So it'll be interesting to see what uh, ends up popping up with that. So please jump on Facebook, jump on Twitter, jump wherever you need to jump as long as it's you know safe to do so. And let us know about your answer from the question of the week. All right, Anthony. So let's get on to the games that we want to hit the table. And who knows, maybe they'll end up at uh, Origins Online. All right. Yeah, so there's not a lot of new stuff coming out. I think the last few weeks, we've mostly been talking about what's on Kickstarter, because that's really the only game releases that are happening. Quite literally, some companies are just not releasing anything. Asmodee, in particular, the big one. Uh, but one that kind of jumped to the hotness the last few days, because they are shipping and there are copies out in the wild now is forgotten waters this is the newest crossroads game from plat hat games and it i believe at the moment at least is like the only major release plat hat has because recently colby over at plat hat retook control of his company but lost control of all like the major ips that that company had to asmodee so basically they split up and he's no longer under Asmodee, but he doesn't have like the stable of games that they built up over the years. So this is like the first one and trying to kind of rebuild that. And initial early reviews from the people who did get hands on their copies sounds really interesting. Um, it sounds like this one does a better job of re-implementing that crossroad system than like Gen 7 did, which kind of hit a little flat. It is pirate themed. It is very bright. 
it looks insane. And <laughs> the only thing that's holding me back from even just checking it out is the player count because it's three to seven players. So it's kind of like a dead of winter approach, big sprawling player count. I don't have three to seven people I can play this game with right now. So not a chance I'm going to order it, but uh, I am definitely keeping my eyes on it because I love the crossroad system. I don't like zombies and gen seven just kind of fell flat for the hundred bucks that it cost. Right. It was so much money for not very much content that just kind of fizzled out towards the end. This one is five scenarios, I think, um, but it does have this big, massive location book uh, that Plaid Hat's kind of become known for. They're big books of stuff um, with just all sorts of different choices and things you can do. So you got pirates, you got weird, magical, silly, goofy stuff happening. You've got the crossroad system, which is just really fun in the first place. Um, the original designer of uh, Dead of Winter worked on this as well, Isaac Vega. So I'm in, you know in six months, whenever I get a chance to sit down with the game group and play something like this again, I definitely want to give it a go. Yeah. I feel like, again, this reminds me of like when 3d came out in movies and just really exploded back in the day and every movie needed to be 3d. I feel like that's still what's going on with board gaming that everyone feels like they need to do this. And I feel like only a couple, very, very few select people do it very well. And that's what concerns me here, because, I again, like you mentioned about Gen 7, like these are tremendous undertakings by the designer. And I don't think just f- for whatever reason it is, it doesn't really get the playtesting it needs. And the cost is so expensive because, again, the designer is putting so much good work and time into this that, yeah, I think this is just unfortunately going to be another game that I'm going to pass up on unless, again, you get super lucky and you happen to have a game group just specifically for this game yeah i could see that um i will say two things though that i think are important one asmodee sold gen 7 for 100 bucks and they split out some expansion content and sold that for another 40 so that was a big part of why that one flopped um and this one is only 60 so this is actually the original price of dead of winter uh which i guess is one of the benefits of them going independent again is they don't have to sell things for the crazy asmodee prices (laughs) right it's actually a reasonably priced game uh to it i guess just the initial impressions does sound like a lot more like dead of winter in terms of like the interactions and the moving around gen 7 was a little bit more of a euro that just didn't quite mesh with that whole system mm-hmm. uh it was trying to tell more of a story than let you tell the story so i don't know i'm not even a huge dead of winter fan i just wanted it to be more than it was and so gen 7 was fairly disappointing because of that so i'm hoping this can redeem it a bit I hope so. I mean, I I actually did like Dead of Winter. I mean, for all its, you know, issues here and there, I thought it was a tremendous system. And I think they pulled it off. And I think that, again, it's one of those situations where different games need different systems. And I don't think this is a copy and paste thing. And another question here, is Pirates the new Zombies? Because, like, everyone's doing pirate games. Like, I know they've been doing it for a while now, but it seems like the new thing is just Pirates. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I think they cycle through, though, because pirates have been a thing recurringly for decades. And it's just maybe yeah. they're back in right now. I mean, a lot of pirate games out there. So just yeah. <laughs> keep an eye on your booty, my friends. Keep an eye on your booty. <laughs> um, speaking of booty, uh, a game that I want to talk about and a game that I very much want and a game that I was planning to back instantly 
I'm actually concerned about because I'm actually concerned about the company's booty here. That is Ankh, Gods of Egypt. Now, Ankh, Gods of Egypt is the third in the series from Eric Lang. You may remember Blood Rage. You may remember Rising Sun. Now here comes Ankh, Gods of Egypt, which is, again, supposed to be a more refined uh, system where it, again, has area control. It has attacking like usual, but the area control and the attacking is not a make it or break it situation if you don't necessarily win because, like the two previous games, there are situations where that actually benefits you. So the same thing is playing out here. And of course, there are gods and monsters, just like the other previous games. What's different about Ankh is that the gods are what you're going to be using as your main player. So you will be playing as one of the Egyptian gods. And with your followers, you will be trying to control areas in order to gain more followers and in order to become remembered. Because what's going on in this game is that all of these Egyptian gods are competing for survival in a society that is forgetting their old ways. They are leaving behind the gods. So the gods are fighting out for, you know, inclusion. I guess this is like, I guess like American gods, the uh, Neil Gaiman book <laughs> or star series, which is a little off, but nonetheless. So you're going to have a God. Your God is going to have some different play style in comparison to the other gods. Each one plays differently, but they all have the same goal. And actually, in fact, you are going to alter the board based upon what the gods do. So you're going to have effects where characters are going to be able to pop back up. You're going to have a, characters are going to be saved in certain situations. There are a lot of godly powers. There's not a lot of information on about this other than the traditional Egypt, Egyptian gods doing their traditional Egyptian godly mythology kind of things. One of the interesting things about this game is that at some point in the game, and again, this is a game from three to five players. Two of the players are going to combine to form a single team. And then on that team, the player with the lowest score is going to be the score that's counted towards victory. So there isn't a player elimination mechanic, so to speak, but there is a different kind of situation brewing up here. So it'll be interesting to see how this game plays depending on the player count and obviously the gods that are involved and how they kind of mess with each other. The miniatures, of course, from Simon look fantastic. Eric Lang's a genius. So, and he knows this genre. So I, I have no doubt it's going to be a great game. It's going to be on Kickstarter. So, you know, that means bundles and bundles of money and bundles and bundles of miniatures. And you're going to have to spend a lot of money in order to get everything that you need. Because again, because it's Simon, you're going to worry that you're not going to get the exclusive stuff. Now here's the rub. Simon recently had several issues to the point where they suspended trading for their company and orders are looking at their books. So there is speculation, at least, that they may be in severe financial trouble. Although Simon kind of came out and said, no, no, we're fine. Everything's fine. But this is going to be the reason why I am probably going to hold back a little bit. And I'm really not sure if I'm going to be able to pull the trigger on this because I'm a little concerned right now that they may not be able to produce this game. What do you think, Anthony? Yeah, no, I actually sent 
a similar thing to my friends in discord the other day and it, it was almost the exact same conversation of like yeah i was gonna back it yeah me too i don't know i'm still on the fence but everybody agreed like if this company is having financial issues and you're backing something that's not going to show up for 18 months ugh, right and it's it's not even just the financial issues right now it's you're giving a lot of money to a company who then gives a lot of that money to a factory in china who then has to produce everything and ship it overseas in the middle of like this crazy economic situation. There's so many variables there that normally all run very smoothly, but we're kind of in unprecedented times, uh, so to speak. And so I don't know that I'm going to back it either. And part of that too, is just like rising sun just never really hit for me. I backed that. I spent a lot of money on it and I've played it a few times now and just, Every time I've played it, I was like, it's fine, but it's no blood rage. You know, <laughs> I just, I don't need to own all three of these, I guess is the simple way to put that. And especially not if it's going to cost me $250 or whatever it ends up costing tomorrow. So I'm probably out, but we'll see. We'll see if you end up harassing me into it again or something. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think even Kemet, which is another Egyptian god area control game is going to be on Kickstarter soon. They're going to have a revised definitive edition, so to speak. So there's going to be a jockeying for the same kind of territory there. Yeah, I'm going to back that. So maybe that's part of it, too. It's just like, I don't need both of these, right? Mm -hmm. I don't know. I'll watch some videos tomorrow when it goes up. But it's just at the moment, I'm not super thrilled. Yeah. So by the time you hear this video, Ankh will be up there on Kickstarter. So absolutely, definitely check it out. Just be warned. And keep an eye out for Simon's, you know, financial numbers as they kind of come out and hopefully they come out of the audit, you know, well. I think the last couple of games they made several million dollars. It didn't seem to be any kind of hitch, at least recently, but it doesn't mean that management is dealing with everything as properly as possible. But we'll see. I mean, this is a very crazy time overall. All right, Anthony. So that's everything from our acquisition disorders. Let's get on to the games that hit our table. And we'll let everyone know if they should buy those games and run out and get those, whether they should play those games and they should sit down at the table or the tablet, whether they should dodge those games and avoid them or burn those games and avoid them at all costs. Anthony, what do you have up for us this week? Okay, so I'm going to revisit a game that I talked about briefly back in December, um, The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. I had a chance to play this like two or three times on a print and play copy that one of my friends made back around Christmas and loved it. It was fantastic. The, the whole idea of like a cooperative trick-taking game in which you're trying to manipulate the order in which the tricks come out and how you do it. Very, very clever. Lots of fun. But it took a while to come to the States. So I didn't really have a chance to play it again until actually I visited you, Chris, and um, a friend of yours brought out his copy in German. So we got a chance to play it a couple, three times then as well. And then when I got back, uh, finally got a copy in English. So have not had as much of time to play that as I would have liked. Uh, did get a few games in uh, with some friends before the lockdown. But I will say, and, and have played a few more times at home as well, uh, just with the family. But I will say, I, I do have a pretty good sense of this game now. And it hasn't really changed my opinion from what I said back in December when I was just effusive. I love this. It's it's a lot of fun. Um especially for a trick-taking game, which is not a genre I've historically loved, but have definitely come around on in recent months. It is, it's just a very clever spin on kind of the hidden information working together, but not really knowing what people have kind of genre, right? 
games like Hanabi always rub me the wrong way because you can kind of cheat a little bit and the game makes it easy to do so. This game is a little bit less so uh, because the cards are in your hand. So short of just straight up saying, I have a six or showing people, you don't really have a way to communicate these things except like the couple of ways the game lets you. Um, just a quick rundown of the rules again. This is a tr cooperative trick-taking game in which you have uh, missions that come out in front of everybody. And these are basically like capture this card, right? It'll tell, show you a specific card. Someone has to capture that. And then someone will take that token and they will need to capture that specific card in their hand or in their pile of tricks that they've won before the end of the round or they lose the mission, right? So like the first time you play the first couple missions, it's just like capture this card, capture this card, and then maybe this other one, right? So different people have different ones and you have to do them in certain order eventually. They progressively get more difficult in that you have to do them in a certain order. Maybe you have to do like four or five of them. Maybe you have to do them, uh, you know, irregardless of other people's hands. Like there's all these different twists and turns that get thrown in there. And there's like 50 different missions. So the game is constantly changing and it can get really difficult, especially at the higher player counts. Like with the full five people, this game is just brutally hard. We lost like 12 times in a row on like mission 10 with five people. You just could not get over the hump. It was that difficult. So I definitely would say play with three or four players, but it's really, really good. It's fairly inexpensive. It's from Cosmo. So I think it's like 20 bucks. Just a trick-taking game in a little box. I still maintain that this will probably be nominated for a spiel. I think it's that kind of game that does something unique and interesting. Uh, we we will see, of course. Like, this year is weird, so we'll see what the spiel even looks like. But yeah, The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine, this is now available. You can get it from Cosmos. Uh, I don't know if it's in stock anywhere, but they have read it over to the States. And it yeah, it's one of my favorite trick-taking games of the last few years. Um especially for cooperative play and uh, I give it a buy. So definitely check it out when you get a chance. Yeah, we played this and it's another trick taking game. I gotta be honest. I didn't love it. I didn't hate it. It was fine. I love anything about space. So that kind of wins me over a little bit, but I don't know. It, the whole idea of just following the specific numbers and such, it felt a little convoluted, but it's fine. I mean, I don't know. I, I think this is probably my most generic <laughs> kind of bland vanilla kind of review. It's fine. It's a play for me. I, I, I'm, <laughs> you know, it just, I don't know. It was just like it's trick taking, but you have to follow this rule this time. And we played a lot of tricky trick taking games over that weekend. And, you know, this was fine. This was one of them that were just fine. That's fair. Yeah, I mean, some of, not everything's going to hit for everybody, but especially like we didn't really get to the harder stuff either. I don't think we got super deep in because a couple of people at the table were having a little trouble with the rules. And they, it does take a little bit of time to wrap your head around it because it's almost like the mind a little bit in trying to guess what other people have and sync up <laughs> what you're playing, which can get frustrating, especially at night. So, yeah, I, I can do that. Yeah, and I, I guess, again, it's one of those things where trick-taking games typically are more like it's a trick taking game. So it doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's going to twist a little bit, but this does twist a little bit. So a little more complex as far as that's concerned. Mm -hmm. Well, I want to review a game that I've reviewed twice before, but in a different version. So I want to talk about through the ages. Now I've spoken about through the ages in board game form. And I've spoken about through the ages in app form today. I want to talk about through the ages in 
Steam form. Now, why would one person purchase a game three times? <laughs> I really just, I it never seemed to be a thing that I thought I was going to do. But Steam does offer something slightly different than the other version. We've talked about the board game version to death. It's a fantastic game. Anthony and I both rate it as a buy, with the exception of it is very hard to get to the table because it is long. It's a little fiddly, but it's still, again, fantastic. The app version is probably one of, if not the best, app versions out there. The fact that you can play it you know, pretty much everywhere that you have a phone, a tablet and such, amazing. The Steam version isn't different necessarily than the app version. You're basically looking at the same board setup. And typically the problem with a lot of board games translated to tablets or apps or on the computer is they go overboard to create a different version of the game so that it's a little more visually appealing and it's not, you know, spreadsheet. Little do they know that we actually like spreadsheets. <laughs> at least when it comes to board gaming. But this visual interpretation of the game is good. It's nice and clean. With a simple click, you're able to see where all the cards are, what they do, how they do it. The game itself really does guide you through. So if you forget something, it's going to remind you about something. Like if you have extra actions available, it's also going to do all the calculations for you. Obviously, we talked about recently Tabletop Simulator and such, where they don't do that for you necessarily this one does all of those things for you why through the ages on steam well first off it's a bigger presentation on your bigger screen so you're able to enjoy the cards a lot better be able to read the text a lot better a lot less clicking to read through every little thing obviously having people online steam is a tremendous platform for this it plays on a mac it plays on a pc the recent DLC for it through the ages, new leaders and wonders is available. That was also available as an expansion. Although I think they have some delays in China. So through the ages civilization in a board game civilization on your, you know, PC or your Mac through steam. It's a buy. It still remains a buy. It's still worth it. It's, offers so many different versions of its AI. There's multiple players. You can play one-on-one. -on -one. You can play up to four. It really does offer a lot of complexity and a lot of enjoyment. Yeah, I, I saw this go on sale the other day, and I picked up a copy too, even though I also have the board game and also have the iPad version. But I yeah, it, it's a funny thing. Like It's one of my favorite games, because I love Civ games. This is one of the better ones. Mm -hmm. But I've yet to actually play the tabletop version with other people. Like I've sure. gone through it a couple times solo, just kind of learn refresh on the rules, but mostly I've just played the app and it's fantastic. And that's rare. That's super rare. Usually I play apps as addendums to the board game, not as a replacement thereof. But in this case, that's what's happened because it's so hard to get it to the table otherwise, but it's still worth it. So, yeah. And especially, and I know you agree with me on this, Anthony, the tutorial. What oh <laughs> It's so good. It's so funny. Like if you've read a Vlada Shavatol rulebook, that's what you should expect, but in like animated form. It's just him being goofy and making jokes at your expense, breaking the fourth wall. It's so good. Yep. So definitely check it out. 
All right, so that's everything from our At The Table. Now on to our feature review. All right, guys, now time for our feature review. This week, we have, once again, our friends' favorite games. And this time around, we are sitting with Raymond Chandler, designer of City of the Big Shoulders, which was our favorite game of 2019. So I'm actually really excited to have this conversation. Um, We've spoken just once before back at Gen Con when I actually picked up this game and first got to introduce to it. But I really thought it'd be a lot of fun to have Raymond on and to go through some of the games that have been influential that he's been playing and kind of what that looks like and how that influences a game like this that um, we've all been playing so much. So welcome, Raymond, to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thank you for having me. I'm I'm super excited to uh, be here and to talk with you guys. Absolutely. Yeah. So like I was saying, um, uh, City of the Big Shoulders, I, I'll be honest, like kind of it missed me in the initial Kickstarter. I didn't really catch it. And the, the reason it kind of entered my headspace was because a couple of friends who had backed it were getting very excited about it. So that led me to kind of track you down um, at Gen Con. And I think you'd even sent us an email or something about the game. And suffice it to say, the game kind of was a big hit for both me and for Chris. We played it a bunch. And, you know, when we did our top games list for last year, um, it ended up right there at the top. So it's one of those that's things. Awesome. That, yeah. That's like when you're designing games, it's like that's like the best story ever, because it's like, you know, you're an unknown designer, an unknown publisher, and you've made this game and you're just trying to get people to really um really like it and to really enjoy it and get it out there. And then, you know, people start talking and, you know, then you end up as somebody's number one. And that's, that's awesome. That that makes me feel really good. Yeah, man, it's a, it's an amazing game. So I thought it'd be cool. And we've been doing this for a little bit now, but I thought it'd be cool to have you on. And, you know, if you could share with us some of the games that, you know, you feel have been influential, some of your favorite games, or even just recent favorites, um, that would help people get to know a little bit more about you, but also like the influences that go into designing something like this. Yeah, sure. So, um, so my influences are far and wide. Um, I would say with or city of the big shoulders is is a little bit more narrow. So um, I play a lot of heavy games in particular, I play a lot of 18 XX train games, you know, 1846, 1830, um, and some of the more, even more obscure ones than that. So we have a group at, um, at our gaming group, which is the the Columbus area board game society that plays every weekend. And, um, I got hooked on these games about two years ago, uh, and they're addictive. It's, you know, you sit down, you play it, you're, you're playing for three, four, five hours. And then next thing you know, you know, the time has flown and you just had an amazing, fantastic time. And I will tell you, I am terrible terrible at 18xx uh but i still i still like keep coming back to it um over and over again and so that was like that was a huge influence um in the city of the big shoulders arkwright was also a big influence and i, I kind of joked with with clay ross at capstone i said hey you know you know i bought arkwright from you guys at origins like you know two years before I, I create city of big shoulders and I'm going through the rule book and I'm going, you know, this is wrong and that's wrong and this is wrong, you know, and that's kind of like, that's that arrogant gamer, right. Thing. But that's also like, Hey, you know, maybe I would do this differently and this maybe do this other thing differently. Also not saying Arkwright is wrong. Arkwright is a fantastic game. I love Arkwright. I'm just saying, there are things that I would have liked to have seen done differently. And so that's what I did. I created, right? So 
you know, they say that the, the, the pinnacle of creation is bring something into the world that you want to see that doesn't exist. And um, Arkwright really inspired me in that way because it did some things uh, that I really loved. And then it did some things that I, I personally did not like as, uh, as much as, you know, if I had taken a different take with it. Um, and so, you know, that evolved uh, into what became City of the Big Shoulders. Outside of that, those two big things, um, and of course, you know, the big poetic influence, Carl Sandburg um, and his poems, uh, Chicago, about, about the city of Chicago. Without those three things, you know, that, that game wouldn't exist. So um, in terms of typical gaming, uh, I play everything. You know, I'm, I'm really blessed to be part of uh, the largest game group in North America, uh, the Columbus Area Board Gaming Society. We've got, you know, I think... Over a thousand members. Um, we've been around for 20 years, and um, you know we've we've got um, a ton of people that put in all kinds of time to volunteer to make the club what it is. And you know, 200 people show up every weekend to play board games in this in this small little I don't know gaming space, and it, it's just it's just fantastic. And so because of that, because of that blessing, you know, I was able to meet Emily, who did all the artwork for City of the Big Shoulders, and I've been able to be exposed to every game genre you can think of. You know, um, I play dungeon crawlers, I play lightweight card games, I play heavy games, I play 18xx, I play thematic games, I play Euro games, and um, and I'm kind of a sponge when it comes to that stuff. You know, I, if it's fun, I want to sit down and play it. If it's a cool concept, I want to sit down and play it. You know, I'm constantly backing Kickstarters and constantly playing new things. And I think sometimes it frustrates my girlfriend because I'll bring home a game. <laughs> and I'll be, hey, let's sit down and play this. And I teach it to her and we play it once or twice. And then it goes on the shelf. And I'm like, hey, I bought this game. Let's sit down and play this. I'm going to teach it to, you know, it's, and uh, she's like, let's just play the same thing. You know, let's just get 10 games in of the same game. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of all over the place. So, um, so like, uh, Top five right now. Let's see. Um, I would say uh, right now, number one is Maracaibo. I've been playing a ton of Maracaibo. It is a great, fantastic game. I'm really impressed with uh, – I've, I've been a fan of um, Sister for a very long time, um, ever since, I mean, even Broom Service. But definitely Great Western Trail Mombasa are, like, in my top. 25 of all time. And so Maracaibo just outdoes both of those games. And it's just so good. Um, PAX premier second edition. Um, mm, yeah. Cold World. I, I'll tell you a story. Cause we, I went to origin. I was at origins last year and I saw Edward Uller from heavy cardboard. Um, and you know, we had gone back and forth quite a bit about him doing a, a feature for city of the big shoulders. And he goes, Hey, you know, it's, I, I asked him, I said, Hey, do you think, you think we'd be in the running for the golden elephant award and he goes yeah yeah i th i think it's a real good shot i think it's either you or or pax premier second edition and i go what's that and he goes oh you don't know about pax premier second edition i said no he said well it's cole Worley's new game i said oh and so i you know i went i bought a copy and i sat down and played it and right after i got done playing i went i was like yeah i don't i don't know if we're gonna win the 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 heavy cardboard award because it's uh Man, PAX Premier is just so good. It's so good. I cannot get enough of that game. Um, so yeah, that that's that's up there. I play. I still play a lot of Lisboa. Um, my greatest game of all time, my number one favorite of all time, is probably Le Havre. Um, 
I just love Lahav. Uh, it was the first real heavy game that had a lot of crunch and meat to it, and I think it'll always have you know a special a special place in my heart. And then you know I'm trying to get I keep trying to get a group together to play Gloomhaven. Um, I'm definitely going to be backing Frosthaven when it comes out on Kickstarter on uh, I think it's March 24th. Um, and I still haven't gotten all the way. I think we're only like, you know, six scenarios in the Gloomhaven campaign, which I think is sad because everybody's already beaten it. Um, but I, I keep trying. Eventually, I'm going to get a game group together and we're going to we're going to stay consistent and, and be able to get through all of it. Yeah. Um, I just <laughs> backed one. I just backed uh, on uh, on Kickstarter, just back Trophy, which is a role playing game. And it looks so good. It looks so good. And by the time your listeners, you know, listen to this, they're. You know their opportunity to get into trophy uh, is is past because the the Kickstarter I think closed just today. But that game, as in terms of like if you're a role player, if you like storytelling games and you like like Dread and Fiasco, this is the next Dread or Fiasco. And I'm completely unaffiliated with that project. I just backed it, was super excited about it, and uh, you guys should definitely check out that campaign too. So. Anyways, those are I guess those are my influences at the time being. Um I hope uh I hope that is a decent amount. I don't know. What do you guys yeah. think? <laughs> no, that's that's awesome stuff, man. It's uh obviously diverse influences. I mean like a lot of us. And I think what you're describing a lot of us go through, especially the uh the Kickstarter glut and then not getting anything to the table more than a couple times. It's that hits me personally pretty hard. <laughs> um do that I, one. I've been really I've been really disappointed with on Mars, uh, not because it's a bad game. It's a fantastic game, but like I bought it and I played it twice and I, I want to go play it again. But like I, I have five other games I have to get through on my mm. shelf, you know, mm. and then at the same time, there's like Kanban and, you know, Rococo and all these other great games that Eagle Griffin keeps putting out. And it's like, I just, I can't, I can't keep up with them. You know, you just, it's so hard to keep up with the, uh, the cult of the new. Oh my and gosh. Raymond, how often do you actually get uh, City of the Big Shoulders to the table after you publish it? And I'm, I'm sure play tested it a hundred times. So I do not play. Um, I do not play it um, anymore. Sure. Um, gotcha. A part, part of that is I play it a lot at conventions just to teach people. Um, mm-hmm. And then another part of that is as you, when you design and develop a game for a very long time, I mean, we spent three, three years on it. Uh, you play it hundreds of times and you just, it kind of, it kind of wears on you after a while. That said, I still love the game, right? Like if, if I was with a group, I was, if I went to cabs and somebody set it out, they're like, hey, Ray, we just need a fourth player. You don't have to teach anybody. You could just stay quiet and enjoy your game. I would sit down in heartbeat and play it. Um, and then I think, so So that's one part of it. The other part of it is um, I do want to make an expansion for it. And I want to take some time away from it for a little bit to kind of let my mind reset uh, before I return to it. Um, so there are some ideas that are floating around to try to... Um, to, to maybe develop some new companies and some new concepts. Um, and, uh, and, and so, you know, we're, we've got some ideas floating around what to do, but I don't want to be constantly playing the game because that might influence um, those ideas in a way that I don't want them to, you know, during a brainstorming, which is kind of what's going on right now. You don't want 
to to be confronted with something that might change your opinion on your emotional ideas, if that makes sense. Does that make sense at all? No, absolutely. Awesome, man. Yeah, no, that's, that's really interesting. I mean, I find it fascinating, too, because I've always had this thought that, like, especially when you play a game that evokes a lot of mechanics or ideas from other similar games that there's, you know, some game designers sitting there playing a game and like, oh, I wish it did this. So to hear you say that, like about Arkwright, for example, I find that very fascinating. Did you have, and this is particularly interesting to me because I've recently gotten into 18xx games with my local group here in just the last like six months or so. Nice. You you are, uh, I, I you're at the point of no return my friend yeah. like say, <laughs> I can say feel goodbye it. I can feel all it. the other games for a while. Like, it sucks you in right like you're just like Ugh. yeah i don't know what it is about those it's just you know we started with 1846 then we played 1830 we've done 1889 now and we have a whole laundry list nice. that we're gonna try to run through this year but it it does What's make me wonder so far? oh um that's a good question i mean I did like 1846 quite a bit, but at the same time, I'm now realizing that it's not very much like any of the other ones. So mm-hmm. it's there's not a the lot greatest of, introduction, but it's uh, it was a lot of fun. There's, I think 1846 is a good introduction, and I think I think a lot of times people are like, "Oh, you should play 1889. You should play 1830 because it's these like full capitalization games." But there's a lot of 18xx games that are incremental capitalization. And it's, I think they're, they often are the more obscure ones, right? So things like 1880, I think 18 New York is incremental capitalization or, or partial cap. I think it's been a while. Sorry, guys. It's been a very long time since I played 18 New York. So if I'm wrong about that, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Um, I think 1817 is partial cap, but 1817 has got a lot of weirdness with like shorting stocks and loans and things like that. But yeah, like I, I love it. 1840 of the three that you mentioned, 1846 is my favorite of those three. I could see that. Yeah, it's the one I own. So it's the one I picked up at this point. <laughs> it's it's nice, too, because it's one of the more accessible ones, right? Like it's mass manufactured. You can get it from GMT. You know, I think it's like 60 bucks or something like that. And and it's in what is third or fourth printing with them now. So like, you know. I, I think it's a great intro. People are trying to get into it. You don't have to go to Deep Thought Games, wait nine months for, you know, some eighteen EU or or something like that. You can um, you can you can special order off the website and have it on your doorstep in a week and and get started and play. Okay, cool. So obviously, you heard a lot about your different influences and everything. Um, you mentioned kind of brainstorming ideas for you know the next possible expansion for. City of the Big Shoulders. Do you have anything else like more concrete in the works? Anything upcoming that you want to kind of touch on? So our um, our biggest um, game that we're working on right now is a game called Nemo's Island. It's by a local another local uh, designer here in Columbus named Ed Wedig, and we have art from uh, uh, Simona uh, Seccarelli, um, who is I. She's done some like children's books and things, but her art is so good. It's so fantastic. Um, but that's sort of a, uh, we're targeting sort of a middleweight treasure hunting, exploration, asymmetrical player powers, um, more of a family style game. Um, and then, uh, you know, we've got some ideas in the works for uh, expansion for City of the Big Shoulders. We also signed at BGGCon last year, we signed Daniel Newman's game Astrolab, which is uh, a dice placement game 
where you are sort of discovering stars across the sky. So it's sort of the golden age of astronomy. And it is so good. Um, but it, for, for those who don't know, some of your listeners who may not be aware, Daniel Newman uh, did World West, uh, which was published by TMG, I think, last year. And he also did uh, Dead Man's Cabal, which I think it was published by Pandasaurus. And he's a, he's a brilliant, brilliant designer. And I sat down and, and played, got a, got, a, got a chance to play Astrolab at BGGCon and was just blown away. And it's one of those really tight, you know, you've got limited number of actions in the game and you're, you're trying to puzzle through what's the, what's the most efficient way. Um, so, uh, you know, we're working with um, a couple high-profile people at the moment to try to get things through. Nothing necessarily concrete yet. Uh, the only real concrete thing is Paul Grogan is is editing um, the rulebook and working on that. It's a lesson that we learned from City is that, uh, you know, we're not very good at making rulebooks and we should we should utilize people who are very skilled with that a little bit more. So, you know, we've invited Paul to to help and author the rule book for, for Astrolab. So that's in the works. Uh, we are talking to some friends about the art until we have an actual agreement in place. We're not quite ready to announce who that is yet, but I think people will kind of be very happy with um, with who we've chosen for that. So, so those are our two principal projects at the moment. Um, and then, of course, you know, we're talking with a ton of other people about other games. Like uh, we have a geography quiz game that we're trying to get the rights to to publish. You know, I've got a couple small projects in the works that I'm not quite ready to announce yet. But, you know, we'll get there cool. eventually. Lots of stuff coming down the line. Anything, yeah. um, have a hard date on it yet in terms of a campaign or anything? No, um, I think, uh, so we were planning on doing the reprint for City of the Big Shoulders early this year. You know, the hope was in February, uh, we would we would be going to the printer. It's February. We're not even finished with the rulebook editing yet. Um, we have uh, signed on with multiple, we have signed on multiple co-publishing partners from Korea and China and Japan and Brazil. who are all going to be joining us in this print run. Um, so it's going to be a pretty big one, but, uh, we're, you know, Emily and I still work full-time jobs. And so finding time is, is difficult. And so we just need to pace ourselves and take our time with it and make sure things are good. And when we're comfortable, we'll, uh, we'll do the release. And the same thing goes for all the other games that we're doing. We are kind of blessed in the fact that we haven't gone full-time yet because it means that we aren't under pressure to meet deadlines. Um, and so we're kind of hesitant to also create deadlines for ourselves. Um, it's my opinion that deadlines can, uh, they're good because they can, they can help drive a project forward, but they can also be bad if you're not willing to, to be a little lax on them because you can make decisions that aren't the best for the art that you're trying to create. And I think from Emily's and I's perspective, you know, we're, we're trying to create um, really, really, really phenomenal games and that takes time. So no dates yet, but I will let you know when, we, uh, when we're when we ready to announce something. Definitely. Awesome. Well, thanks again for coming on, Raymond. It was a lot of fun. Like I said, City of the Big Shoulders, one of our favorite games of last year. Uh, always fun to talk 18xx now that I've stumbled down this rabbit hole. So <laughs> probably be just, that'll be the starter of a conversation more than once at future cons. And just a lot of fun hearing, you know, the stuff that you have coming up. So thanks again for coming on. We really appreciate it. 
Hey, thank you for having me. I really appreciated uh, you guys inviting me on and getting a chance to talk with you. And, you know, good luck with your 18xx journey. I, uh, I, on one hand, wish you luck. On the other hand, you know, kind of envy you for being able to discover that. So, you know, you get to see it with fresh eyes and that's really cool. All right, Anthony. So that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat online. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.